This weekend we celebrate the 4th of July, obviously, today, our Independence Day. In 1776 was the birth of our nation. So many blessings in this country and yet so little gratitude. To quote the scriptures, I think that if Jesus came back right now and looked at America, he would be amazed at our lack of faith. Truly amazed. All the blessings, all that we've been given, and yet so little in gratitude. Or so little gratitude. And so this day before I begin anything, I just want to recognize if there are any veterans, if you could just raise your hands. A couple. Stand up. Stand up. Applaud for them. They say the, the land of the free because of the brave. And so thank you for your service. That's uh, why we enjoy the privileges of this great country. And this day is obviously a day of great rejoicing, but it's also a day of responsibility. Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is expected. And our nation has been given more than any other nation on the planet, maybe in the history of the world. And yet, how far we have fallen from what is asked of us. Bishop Austin Vetter uh, was a priest of our diocese, and he had, his dad had this saying and it always stuck, he, Bishop Vetter said it always stuck in his head. And if you go down to Linton, which right now, if you, if, again, if you know it, they, they take a sign and put it over the sign that says, Welcome to Linton, and it says, Welcome to Vetterville. Because there's so many vetters that come for the reunion every year. And if you go down there, there's a little plaque on the ground, and it's where Bishop Vetter had his first Mass. And on that plaque, it says, you know, ordination date, first Mass. And then his dad's quote. And that quote is, remember where you came from. So, remember your humble beginnings as just a little farm boy. Don't ever forget that. Because that keeps us humble. If we forget our beginnings, we become arrogant. We become entitled. And that's something that we've forgotten is where we came from. This nation was born from a place of weakness, a place of struggle. We came from nothing. We were under the heavy hand of the British Empire and rose up together and defeated a tyranny that subjugated us and we became a free nation. In our weakness, we united and grew strong. In our weakness, we found power. And through our faith, we strove for virtue. And that is what made us the land of the free. Benjamin Franklin, at the very beginning of this country, said this. I found it fascinating. Only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. As nations become corrupt and full of vice, they have more and more need of masters to rule them. And that is exactly what's happening in America because we've forgotten where we came from, who we are. One nation under God. At the service of the Creator. Abraham Lincoln. He said, We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation ever has grown. But we have forgotten God. We've forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. We have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom or virtue of our own. We did it. We made America great. We've forgotten the source of our power. We've forgotten that we are essentially weak. 
God is strong. And when we stay humble and faithful, God's power will radiate through us. And we will become a light to the nations. This is what Paul is talking about in the second reading when he says God's power is made perfect in our weakness. I think everybody kind of wants to know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. You know, what was it that this guy struggled with that was so bad when he was seemingly so good? A lot of biblical scholars speculate that it might have been a speech impediment. And the reason I think this is because in the letter to the Corinthians, he writes to the people in Corinth and he says, Oh, you say when I show up, or when I write my letters, I'm all grandiose and this great writer. But when I come to you in person, I am unimpressive. So maybe people thought maybe he had a stutter or a stammer. Or maybe he was just a bad preacher. Which is kind of funny if you think about it, because he's the apostle to the Gentiles, right? What if he was just terrible at preaching? There is a point, I don't know if you know the story in the Acts of the Apostles, when a kid, is he's sitting up in a windowsill, and he's listening to Paul preach. And Paul says, and Paul went long into the deep hours of the night preaching. The kid falls asleep, falls out of the window, and dies. It's in the Acts of the Apostles. You can read it. That's how boring Paul was. Maybe, I don't know. Don't worry, Paul raised him from the dead and everything was okay. That makes him better than a good preacher, I guess. Some people think that it was his eyes. He had a problem with his eyes. In the letter to the Philippians, he says, you Philippians are so generous that if I asked you, you would pluck out your eyes and give them to me. So they thought maybe he had some ailment in the eye. Whatever it was, we don't know and we never will, but we know this, it was chronic and it was terrible. Paul says himself, I asked the Lord three times to take it away from me. Three times is a Jewish literary device. It means over and over and over and over and over. Any of you got that? Anybody anybody been asking God for years, decades, for just one thing? And he doesn't give it to you? This continuing pleading and begging. And another thing we need to see about Paul is he says, it was given to him. It was given to him. This is not a suffering he chose. In the same letter to the Corinthians, Paul talks about the sufferings he chose. Remember, he's beaten with rods, he's stoned, he's shipwrecked, he's, you know, a night and a day at sea. He chose all of those sufferings. This one, it says, was given to me for a very particular reason. He says, it was given to me to protect me from becoming too arrogant, too full of pride. Now, I know this might sound crazy and totally counterintuitive to how the world thinks, but if we're honest, we can see this principle at work in our own lives and the lives of people, great historical figures, about how their weaknesses, some thorn that they had, actually saved them and helped them. Because it's the 4th of July, I'll give you two presidents. The first one is Abraham Lincoln, fascinated by the man. He was an incredible individual. I think a lot of people are fascinated by Lincoln. He was, he was put in an impossible circumstances and situation. And known as one of the greatest presidents. But I don't know if you know this, but he suffered from depression his whole life. Like, not just a little depression. Like a debilitating depression. <clears throat> not on, on top of depression, he's got the Civil War. On top of that, his own son died. He had a hard life. 
He said he'd wander the White House at night because he couldn't sleep, because he was haunted by all the images of war. And he writes in his memoirs that one time he was staying in a room in the White House and he just saw it filling up with blood because of all the young soldiers that he was responsible for sending to their death. And yet, here's a man who suffered, suffered with an incredible thorn in the flesh. Did it wreck him? No. In fact, many people argue that it was the suffering of his depression which allowed Lincoln to enter into the suffering of others. I don't know if you know, uh, I've seen the, the movie, it's, I think it's I Saw the Light, it's Hank Williams, uh, Hank Williams Sr. And there's a, I don't know if he ever said this line, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but there's this line in the movie where this, like his producer comes up and he's like, man, Hank, you can just really sing about sad things. And Hank Williams looks at him and he says, you got to know the sad to be able to sing about it. What does he mean? That he's lived the sad. You listen to Hank Williams' songs, some of them are terribly sad. What did he suffer with? He had spina bifida, right? He didn't have the painkillers we have. That's why everybody called him a drunk. I mean, the poor guy was probably just trying to kill his pain. And out of that becomes one of the greatest country singers of all time. What made Lincoln feel in his bones the suffering of this divided nation? What allowed him to speak to the slaves? And what made him fight with every ounce of strength that he had for the reconstruction of the South? Not the deconstruction. Not the punishment. Is that he suffered. And he could enter into the suffering of others. And he didn't want other people to have to deal with what he dealt with. And it made him compassionate and merciful. And it made him effective. Second, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, bright young man, huge career ahead of him. What happens? He gets struck with polio, paralyzed from the waist down. Many would argue that his wrestling with that disease is what awakened him to the depth of sympathy and compassion for those that were poor, that were sick, that were suffering. He said he was bright and, and full of energy, but he was full of himself. Polio broke him and allowed him to identify with those who were suffering. And so the president of the New Deal, the president that moved this country through the Great Depression, through World War II, might never have emerged without his thorn in the flesh of that terrible disease. Think of John Paul II. You remember John Paul II at the end of his life? appears in public drooling on himself because of Parkinson's. You want to talk about a thorn in the flesh? He can't even move. And yet what made him the most effective witness to the dignity of human life was that disease. He preached without even saying anything. And so those thorns in the flesh, they might not be as bad as they appear. And I know they're bad. I, you hate them, I hate them. Some of us got one, some of us got ten. But we need to stop looking at them as a place of pain and suffering and complaining about them and instead look at them as a place of divine encounter. Why does Paul say that God's power is made perfect in our weakness? Because weakness is the only place that you and I will let God work. You don't need Him in your strength, you're fine there. Where you need Him is where you suffer. 
And so whatever it is, your physical suffering, your emotional suffering, your psychological pain, your anxiety, depression, frustration, sickness, realize that if you embrace that and unite that to Christ and let God's power move through that, it will become more powerful than you can imagine. Because where we are weak is where we need God the most. And where we need God the most is where He can work the best. Because His power is truly made perfect in weakness. May we embrace the weaknesses that we have and realize that they are the path to God. Amen.